Chapter 31, Kitty Cat Meow Meow. In the end, it was the incessant beeping that woke him. Adrian had never been much of a heavy sleeper, but his eyelids simply refused to open. And then there was the pain blooming over his core with every breath, the strain weighing down every inch of his body and refusing to let him sit up. But he didn't give in. Every movement was a fight, every breath another knife in his ribs. He didn't back down, not until he was blinking in the fluorescent lights. A black blur zipped around his peripheral, and it wasn't until he was inches from Adrian's nose that he recognized Plague. Hey, kid, he said quietly, more reserved than Adrian had ever heard him. How are you feeling? Fine. His throat was hoarse and raw, as if he'd spent hours yelling at the top of his lungs. Gritting his teeth to keep himself from groaning, he pushed himself onto his elbows to survey his surroundings. As far as hospital rooms went, this one was pretty nice. A bathroom in the corner, a tower of cables and saline bags, and two couches in the corner of the room. Two currently occupied couches. Marinette was curled up on the side closest to his bed, chin rested in her palm. Olya was slumped against her, and Nino similarly draped over her, like a human jigsaw puzzle. Chloe was alone on the other couch, cocooned in an off-white hospital blanket. Adrian craned his neck to read the clock on the wall. It was almost midnight. You've been out for two days, Plague said, answering Adrian's unspoken question. They've been here the whole time. Blowing out a breath, Adrian leaned back on his flat pillow. His gaze kept drifting subconsciously in Marinette's direction. Eventually he threw away his dignity to study her fully. She was wearing the same pyjamas as the night of the attack. A few droplets of blood stained the hem of her shorts, but apart from that, she looked unharmed. Her hair was a tangled mess, her cheeks were hollower, and there were scabs all around her fingernails. She was the most beautiful thing he'd ever seen. Drawing a plastic cup of water from off the bedside table, he forced himself to choke down a sip. She hasn't left yet, he told Plague. I don't think she plans to, said Plague. He took the cup from Adrian, who worked hard not to admit his relief. She rode in the ambulance with you, too. Even the doctors are scared to do anything to you while she's here. The others showed up a bit later, but she's the only one who hasn't left the room. Have you eaten? Adrian asked. Plague flashed him a small, guilty smile. Marinette convinced the nurses to bring you some cheese from the cafeteria. So if anyone asks if camembert is your favorite food. Huffing through his nose, Adrian raised an unimpressed eyebrow. The fans are going to have a field day with that one. I can see the memes now. At the mention of fans, Plaid cringed. Right, about those creeps. They're kind of staking out the hospital. Adrian almost laughed, but Plague's tone was void of any sort of humor. Don't tell me the press caught wind of this. Hard to miss the parade of emergency vehicles parked outside the Agrest Manor. Truly, he should have known. Adrian Agrest being injured was better than Chatnoir being injured, since the latter was supposed to be seen as invincible, but it didn't dull the dread curdling his stomach. 
Plagg's next words were a barely audible growl. That and the Calvin Klein campaign that premiered a couple days ago. Adrian covered his head with his hands, his sleeping friends the only thing keeping him from groaning. Great, he muttered, just great. I timed this perfectly. But whose fault was it? His father had organized the photo shoot, and Luca was the one who put him in the hospital. Damn that waxen floor. If not for his father's posh tastes, he might have been able to evade the shot. The bandages wrapped around his abdomen were an irritating reminder. What do the police know? he asked at last, dropping his hands from his face. I mean, if they found Luca's body, I assume they're investigating the situation. Is Marinette going to have to testify? Worse, was she already charged? Honestly, that had been the most shocking part of the entire night the cold way Marinette leveled the weapon at Luca's chest and let loose. She hadn't hesitated a second, not even to give Luca the chance to surrender. Chloe made the whole thing go away, Plagg said as if it pained him to admit. Besides, it's sort of impossible to press charges for murder without a body. Adrian's blood turned to ice, and he sat up fully. What did you do to him? Plagg blinked, a crease appearing between his brows. I didn't get the chance to do anything, he said. Once you were stable, and I was sure Marinette would be here to take care of you, I went back to the house. There was no sign of him. Half the officers are dirty, maybe one of them grabbed him. Because it was the only answer Adrian could think of the only one he wanted to think of. Maybe, said Plagg. A few seconds later, everything hit him like a train. What Luca confessed the moments before his death, the almost gleeful way he reveled in it. The fact that Ladybug had died in his care, and there was nothing Chuck could do about it. The burning prickling behind his eyes wouldn't let up, not until Adrian let the tears fall. He kept silent so as not to wake his friends, but Plag saw, as always. For once, his voice wasn't mocking or sour. She fought for a long time, Kwame said softly. Don't beat yourself up about it. Adrian wanted to speak, but he didn't trust himself not to outright sob. The war wasn't over yet Paris still needed him. The second he was discharged, he had a whole lot of slack to pick up, dozens of new routes to patrol. Even for a superhero, Ladybug was obscenely diligent. He already knew he wouldn't be able to fill her shoes at least not completely. If Marinette hadn't already shot Luca, Adrian would have spent the next half hour researching the most painful deaths in history. But he was gone, and obsessing over what he'd done was a waste of time. A tempting waste, but a waste nonetheless. How long until I can get back out there? Adrian finally asked. Plagg sighed, though the eagerness in his eyes was undeniable. Tiki was still out there, Adrian realized, and as heartbreaking as Ladybug's death was, her miraculous was still up for grabs. If the next holder was as malevolent as Luca, then Ladybug's Kwame would be in a world of hurt. I want to leave as much as you do, but you need your rest, said Plagg. Chat Noir can't help Paris with a hole in his intestines. Adrian opened his mouth to say more, but Marinette chose that moment to startle awake. Moonlight streamed in from the window, and she had to squint toward him.
He should say something. He was the one who had decided to reveal himself, he was the one who lost his footing and failed to protect her. But the intensity of her stare stole away his words. She was at his side in seconds, her fingers trembling over his arm. How long have you been awake? she asked tentatively. Just a few minutes, he lied. Her shoulders were rigid with concern, and he wasn't about to add to the stress carving lines around her mouth. Are you feeling all right? Do you need to lie back? I can call the nurse Dash. Don't. Please, he added when her attention slid to the call button beside the bed. He reached for her hand, pulling it toward the scratchy hospital gown pooling around his waist. Can we just talk for a second? Before everyone comes in here and starts asking questions. Plaid was still sitting on the bed, not bothering to hide. Adrian almost tried to cover him before his brain caught up with the situation. Marinette knew he was chat noir, she knew Plag was as much a part of him as his alter ego was. Crap. She knew. He didn't know why it hadn't hit him before, why he wasn't panicking the second he opened his eyes. But now she was awake, she was standing in front of him, and he couldn't think beyond her presence. Tucking her hair behind her shoulder, Marinette gave a shaky nod. Yeah, sure. She dropped her eyes and perched on the edge of the bed, careful not to disturb his legs. He hadn't seen this side of her in a long time. She was toying with her hair, with the cuffs of her sweatshirt, doing anything but facing him. Like she didn't know what to do. You know me, he said, rubbing her wrist in an effort to get her to look at him. I'll always be chat with or without the mask. Slowly, she shook her head. It's not that simple, she said wryly. Adrian and Chat were two different people to me I had two very different relationships with them. And now that I know they were both, well, you, I. I'm having a hard time piecing it together. His mouth tensed with the urge to say more, but he didn't want to tear apart whatever tentative bridge stretched between them. It was his fault for revealing himself, for breaking the rules that let him have her. She wanted a superhero no, she needed a superhero. Not a model who spent his days living in fear of his fans and his father. Blowing out a breath, he released her hand and leaned backward. You don't have to stay if you're uncomfortable, he told her, going so far as to try for a smile. The doctors will take great care of me, you don't have to be here. No, Marinette said instantly, grabbing blindly for his arm. Her nostrils flared at the fur sticking out of his skin, but she didn't balk from it. No, I have to be here. I can't leave you, not again. Adrian didn't know how to react. It was obvious that she cared for him, otherwise she would have left by now, but she didn't know how to act around him. Just like he didn't know how to act around her. Red-rimmed, her eyes drifted to his, and she rolled her lips together. I care about you, okay. I hate that I do, but it's true. And it's not because of anything you've done, it's because of who you are. I fell in love with Adrian Agrest when I was 14 years old. Her voice broke off in a soft hum, one she stifled into the side of her hand. Adrian didn't breathe, the drumming in his chest turning thunderous. 
This woman whom he'd come to admire and hold above all others was pouring her heart out, and he wouldn't dare to interrupt her. And then chat. Chat saw the side of me I thought no one would ever see. Adrian taught me what it meant to care about someone, but chat taught me what real love was. She shrugged, her smile almost sad. I don't know how or when it happened, but eventually, I fell for him. Then, when he didn't move, she dragged a hand through her hair, the next words barely above a whisper. I fell for you. If not for the thick bandages hardened around his stomach, Adrian would have shot up straight. But this wasn't the giddy confession he wanted, wasn't the carefree declaration of love it was supposed to be. No, Marinette was terrified. Gently, he reached across the space between them to tuck a piece of hair behind her ear. You must be so tired, he said at last. She shuddered, leaning her cheek into his palm. He didn't pull away, even when she glanced up and pinned him with that compelling, bluebell stare. If she was smart, she wouldn't stay with him, she wouldn't bury herself beneath the mess of his circumstances. And Marinette was brilliant. If this was going to be the last real moment he had with her, he wasn't going to take a second of it for granted. But she pressed forward, bringing his head down to brace her forehead against his. I'm tired of fighting with myself, she murmured. I know what I want, but I'm scared to take it. I've managed to ruin so much, I don't trust myself with anything good. Their noses were almost touching. Adrian knew their proximity was only to keep quiet, to not wake the others, but he couldn't help the way his breathing stuttered. What do you want? he asked. She tipped her head back in a small, silent laugh. A pretty blush dusted her cheeks, and when it faded, he immediately wanted to see it again. You know what I want. Tell me anyway. All it would take was one movement, one risk, one question. She huffed, but her annoyance wasn't deep enough to be real. She dropped off the bed, her hands lingering on his chest. Right now, I want you to get better, she said. Adrian rolled his eyes, doing his best not to let his expression betray the exhilaration coursing through his veins. She hadn't outright said it, but he could read it in her concern, in a way she couldn't pull wholly away from him. She was attached to him in some way or another. Such a tease, he muttered. I'm all for it, grumbled Plag, glancing between them with crossed arms. Then, after looking past Marinette's shoulder, time for me to hide. There was groaning from the couch, Olya and Nino peeling themselves off of each other. Marinette stepped away from Adrian as they wiped the sleep from their eyes, and as much as he wanted to pull her back, he understood. It was different with friends, different with people who didn't see what they'd been through together. Maybe later, once they had talked through the repercussions and decided how to move forward, then their friends could know. Then they might have some sort of normalcy. Nino was the first to reach Adrian, and he didn't hesitate to wrap him in a hug. I'm so sorry, man, he said, the words bursting out of him like he'd been waiting to speak them for years. For yelling at you on the phone, about Olya, I'm sorry. I wasn't thinking right, and if you had died dash. I'm fine, Adrian cut in, squeezing back just as tightly despite the sharp pain in his stomach. And even if I wasn't, it wouldn't have mattered, 
You can't get rid of me that easily. When Nino pulled back, his glasses were foggy enough that he had to wipe the lenses on his shirt. You should give me some warning next time, though. Adrian snorted. Yeah, next time I get shot dash. No, about the ads. He put his glasses back on, his frown sympathetic. I didn't expect to see my best friend half-naked on my way to class. I was more curious about the tattoo of Marinette Lucky Charm, Olya cut in, brows flicked up in blatant intrigue. Scratching the back of his head, Adrian grimaced. It's a long story. Olya narrowed her eyes on Marinette, but nothing was getting through Marinette's passive mask. Well, at least the fangirls haven't caught wind of the connection. Most of them still can't figure out what it is. You know there are entire accounts dedicated to tracking it down. Olya added, swiping open her phone. You're going to have a wicked scar, said Nino, nodding toward his stomach. Another for the collection, thought Adrian. But oddly, the thought didn't bother him as much as he thought it would. This scar wouldn't unnerve him as much as the others would as much as his father's would. Because he earned this new one defending Marinette, defending the girl he'd come to care about more than anything else in the world. Marinette. Chloe's voice was ice, and she tore her eyes up from her phone screen. She must have just woken up, but she looked pristine as always. Pristine and utterly furious. Get over here. Outside, Olia corrected, shutting down her own phone with similar urgency. Her scrutinizing gaze had turned to ashen shock, especially when she grabbed Marinette's elbow. I'm not leaving Adrian, said Marinette, trying to pry off Olya's hold. But Olya wouldn't budge. Trust me, girl, you need to see this. Nino, you're coming, too. What? Nino protested, and then the door swung open. A gaggle of white-coated people walked in, probably top-of-the-line doctors eager to impress a wealthy celebrity. Good to see you awake, M progressed. How's your pain, scale of 1 to 10, said one of them, tapping a clipboard. While they were coming in, Olya was dragging Marinette out, a confused Nino following close behind. Adrian didn't have the room to protest, not with the army of doctors who looked ready to restrain him if he so much as dropped a toe out of bed. Chloe was the last to leave, head held high in ponytail swishing. Take good care of him, she told the doctors, nose turned up. She closed the door, and Adrian was trapped in a room of strangers. Chapter 32 You can't really go beyond infinity, but I can sure try. Chloe didn't release her arm until they were in one of the hospital's echoey stairwells. This is far enough, snapped Marinette, glaring around the three of them. Even Olya Haddon stood up for her, not against the quiet fury radiating off Chloe's shoulders. What's wrong? In answer, Olya held up her phone. You tell me, Ladybug. Her lips parted in shock, and she finally saw their expressions, each a varied combination of shock, awe, and indignation. What are you talking about, she said, clinging to what little stubbornness she had left. They didn't say anything, and Olya shoved the phone into her hands until Marinette was forced to take it. Luca's face stared back at her, half his face obscured by the red and black mask her mask.
Those were her earrings studding his ears, but the sneer he wore was nothing reminiscent of a superhero. And he was talking. Luca was alive and talking. He stood in front of the Eiffel Tower, a black vest strapped over the magical uniform. A bulletproof vest that's how he was still alive. She failed. He won. And there was no denying the proof. Lights blazed behind him, and he regarded the reporter with thinly veiled disgust. Marinette Cheng has surrendered her miraculous, he said, and chills pierced her spine. I've stepped up in her absence. That's all there is to tell. Luca shot toward the Eiffel Tower, the zip of her yo-yo leaving an eerie buzz in her head. The reporter stepped into frame, understandably bewildered. But Marinette didn't hear her. Her senses were overwhelmed with the roaring in her blood, the rage eating away at her stomach. It was only then she realized it wasn't streetlights casting the Parisian streets in a warm glow, wasn't Christmas garlands flickering over the storefronts and townhouses. The city was burning. Is it true? Olia's tone had gone tentative, as if she were afraid of the answer. Are you? Were you Ladybug? Marinette glanced up barely stopping herself from cringing back at their demanding stares. Nino hadn't moved an inch, features set in stony awe, and Chloe's expression was beyond angry. But Olya was the worst, though, because the betrayal was written over her face. When was this? Marinette asked, purposefully avoiding Olya's line of sight. Few minutes ago. Daddy told me to stay away from downtown, and since he never texts me, I figured it was something big. Chloe was seething, now, but when she pushed herself into Marinette's space, it was to embrace her in a fierce, unexpected hug. Marinette went rigid, Chloe's expensive perfume searing her nostrils. There was no warning sign, no time to react beyond freezing up. Olya and Nino looked equally dumbstruck. If she felt Marinette's shock, Chloe didn't give any indication. I can't believe you, she said tightly. You tricked me into thinking you're an idiot. They both knew that was a lie that Chloe had built up a prejudice against her without anyone else's input but Marinette recognized the deflection for what it was. Slowly, she wrapped her arms around Chloe's shoulders, matching her strength. My bad, she said weakly. Chloe pulled back as if Marinette had pinched her, wiping a not-so-subtle finger beneath her eyes. This mascara is not waterproof, she tried to sneer, but it came out more like a sniff. Still sniffling, she went back to her phone. I have to contact the brand and warn them not to try their false advertising schemes on me again. Utterly ridiculous. How could you keep this from me? Olya demanded, recovering from the surprise faster than Nino. All those times you had to use the bathroom during an Akuma attack, those were all lies? I only lied to keep you safe, Marinette bit back, unable to keep herself from mirroring Olya's hostility. Something I'm sure Nino can relate to. Nino, who had gone pale in light of the connotation. Wait, if you're Ladybug, how the hell did Luca get your miraculous? Legs widening in a subconsciously defensive pose, Marinette crossed her arms. I was working on the human trafficking cases at the same time I was getting a tattoo. I didn't tell him who I was, she added at Olya's scowl, 
but he managed to figure it out. He told me he had information and offered to work with me on it. I said yes. Are you willingly allied with a criminal? Chloe asked, eyebrows raised. Her tone was full of crisp logic, but Marinette's heightened emotions made it sound like an accusation. I was desperate, she all but shrieked, her voice wet and cracking and shameful. I had no other leads, I had nothing. Nino frowned. What about Chat Noir? All Marinette could do was laugh. The three of them blinked at her, Olia's face pinched with annoyance, but Marinette couldn't help it. Chat left me before graduation, she said at last, fisting her hands to keep them from trembling. He doesn't know the city the way I do, not anymore. I was on my own, I needed someone on my side. What about us? Olya had her hands propped on her hips, her own eyes shining with the hint of angry tears. What about Rena Rouge, Carapace, and Queen Bee? You needed people on your side, that's fine, but you should have asked for help. Why didn't you just ask us? I'm sorry. It was all Marinette could say. She hated the emotion building in her throat, all the unspoken fury and questions and agony saturating the air. You're right, I should have come to you, but it doesn't matter now. I have to go. She was halfway to the door before Olya closed her hand around her elbow. Where do you think you're going? Marinette took a deep breath that made her entire body go numb. Paris is on fire, Olya. Chat Noir's out of commission at the moment, and if Luca keeps going with my miraculous, he's going to destroy the city. I'm the only one with the power to stop him. With what? Olya snapped. You can't possibly believe you can go up against a miraculous wielder on your own. He's in love with me, I can get closer to him, she spat. Scoffing, Olya dug her fingertips in deeper. If you think I believe that dash. No, she's right. Nino's voice was hollow, and he rubbed at his jaw. Come on, babe, you saw the way he looked at her on campus. It's not a far stretch. Then, when Marinette dared to flash him a grateful look, his tone hardened. So, where are our miraculous? She sucked in a breath, her limbs turning to lead. Their countenances were expectant, unyielding. Her arm was still in Olya's hold, and if her expression was anything to go by, she wasn't going to release her anytime soon. Please, she whispered, giving the smallest shake of her head. I have to do this on my own, I can't let anyone else get hurt. Let me finish this. You'll get yourself killed, said Olya, and now it was about bleeding through her words, coating Marinette's skin in a new layer of shame. You've fought alone for long enough, Marie. Tell us where they are. The weight in her chest turned to a painful clench, and she wanted nothing more than to shake Olya by the collar. This is my fault, she wanted to say, this is my mess to fix, not yours. Then Olya put a hand on her shoulder, bringing her face down and in line with Marinette's. We want to do this, she said gently but firmly. This is our city, too, and we've sat back long enough. Give us a chance. There's no time dash. Either tell us where our miraculous are or we're going with you as civilians, said Chloe evenly. It's your choice. 
Marinette huffed, raking both hands through her hair in an effort to distract herself from how hard it was getting to swallow. She'd known Chloe long enough to know she wasn't bluffing she would follow Marinette all the way to the Eiffel Tower if it meant keeping good on her promise. But she didn't want to consider the price they'd all have to pay, the sacrifices they'd have to make. I can't let you, she whispered, hating the way her voice broke. Pressing the heels of her palms into her eyes, she did her best to fix her features into a glare. You don't understand the cost that comes with miraculous. This is my problem, it's my job to fight Dash. It's your job to stay alive, said Olya, her voice leaving no room for argument. Now where are the miraculous? When Marinette looked up, all she saw was Tiki. Because Olya was right, she was being irrational. She had no more of a right to go up against Luca than any of them did. The only answer she had as to why she was even considering it was because she loved her city. And, she realized, so did her friends. My bedside table, she said at last, willing her voice not to shake. All three of them they re at my bedside table. The door's unlocked, you can go in and grab them. If you hurry, you can get downtown before the fire spreads too far. She reached for the door, but Chloe was no fool. Oh no, you're not going anywhere without us. One brow arched, Marinette snorted. All of Paris knows my identity, I'd be mobbed the second I got outside. Plus, someone needs to stay with Adrian. Nino was the first to buy it. All right, ladies, we have a fire to put out and a maniac to take down, he said, already grabbing the banister and hauling himself downstairs. Olya squares her shoulders, putting on her I'm older than you and I know the best face. Don't talk to anyone you don't know, don't answer any questions, just stay with Adrian, got it? If anyone gives you trouble, get their name but don't do anything. We'll deal with it when we get back. Don't do anything stupid, said Chloe on her way down. Olya rolled her eyes, letting Marinette go with a final squeeze. If Adrian asks, make up a story. Apparently you're good at those. Marinette tried not to let the last hit get to her, but Olya's words stung, even after the back door banged shut behind them. It hurt to know that her best friend was angry about her double life rather than understanding especially right before she herself ran off to transform into a secretive superhero. But that was to be expected, Marinette supposed. She couldn't suppose Olya would react unemotionally, that she would cast aside all personal interest to view it from Marinette's standpoint. It took every ounce of her willpower to wait one, two, three minutes before she sprinted after them. And then she was tearing through the streets of Paris, past the crowds of Adrian's adoring fans clustered around the entrance and windows of the hospital, past the news vans parked outside and the ambulances whooping out of the emergency bay. She was soundless amidst the blaring of the alarms, the frantic shouting reverberating through the asphalt beneath her feet. Her heart was beating so fast she could hardly feel it, because every part of her was just movement. It was panic and fear and anger and everything the city had poured into her. Everything she was about to throw back at it. The closer she got to the Eiffel Tower, the more Marinette had to fight the urge to succumb to the chaos. Because truly, the streets were hazy with smoke and debris, the crackle of flames popping everywhere. Screaming people ran past her, 
and Marinette dodged them each in turn. None of them tried to drag her away, and she couldn't blame them they had their own loved ones to worry about, just like she had hers. When she reached the base of the Eiffel Tower, her lungs felt about ready to burst. There was plenty of chain-link fencing around the entrance, but the guards had all fled. She scaled it quickly, darting for the staircase that tourists lined up for miles to enter. Every time her legs shook and she thought about dropping back down, she heard the whir of Luca's yo-yo ladybug's yo-yo. She ran up the stairs, not stopping until she reached the viewing platform. The elevators weren't turned on, and there was no way to turn them on from up here. But it still wasn't high enough. Luca was somewhere above the city, watching the destruction unfold in a suit he didn't earn. She had to reach him. Panting, she traced the metal arches spiralling above her head. She knew this tower inside and out, knew every twist and turn like the back of her hand. She'd grown up hanging off the side of Notre Dame, defying death with every leap and bound. It couldn't be much harder in civilian form. Right? So Marinette stretched out her wrists, cracked her neck, sucked in a final, shaky breath. She grabbed the frame of the Eiffel Tower, pushing every doubt to the back of her mind. Every thought of failure, every ounce of guilt, every negative emotion aside from the blind need to right her wrongs. And Marinette started to climb. Chapter 33, Hold on I still want you. There were footsteps clicking down the hallway, much louder than the doctor's sensible shoes. Adrian blew out an exasperated breath. If a reporter had somehow gotten through hospital security, he'd have to plaster on a fake smile and try not to think about the fact he wasn't wearing anything under his hospital gown. Plaid was sleeping on his stomach, so Adrian drew the itchy blanket up to his chest. He didn't know where everyone went, but he wished one of them had stayed behind Marinette especially. It wasn't very superheroic of him to want other people beside him, and maybe it was foolish to hope for anyone else's help. Still, there was a sort of peace in recognizing he wasn't alone in the world, and that he had more to offer outside of Chat Noir. That his friends wanted to be around him, no matter what he was capable of. Still, the emptiness of the hospital room begged to differ. When the door opened, he was prepared for the worst. Natalie's presence, though, threw him off guard. Hello, Adrian, she said calmly, as though she hadn't spent the past month actively fighting to kick him off the aggressed fashion board of directors. Adrian couldn't repress the curl of his lip. What are you doing here? It was only then he noticed the smudge of her mascara. Like Chloe, like his father, Natalie never chose to come across as anything less than put together. That floor, as tiny as it was, spoke volumes. I tried to call you earlier, but I didn't realize you were here. She cleared her throat, toying with a button on her pantsuit. There's been an incident. What sort of incident? Natalie's features settled into an eerie attempt to soothe him. You have to understand, it wasn't anyone's fault. Sometimes these things just happen. Nostrils flared, Adrian ground out, what things? Your father is dead, Adrian. Her words echoed around the room, her following silence giving them enough time to sink deep into his bones. I want to tell you before the press caught wind. 
It was a heart attack in his sleep. The doctors say his work weakened his heart, and the new psych meds worsened his condition. They did everything they could. Her voice broke at the end, and she turned swiftly to the window, heels clicking across the linoleum. Adrian didn't know what to say. He was ashamed to admit his first thought was thank God. Even after everything Gabriel put him through, every 16-hour workday and mark in his skin, he was still his father. He didn't have to raise Adrian, didn't have to house and clothe and feed him, but he did. As much as Adrian hated it, he existed because of Gabriel. Only now, he didn't have to exist for Gabriel. But he was still the monster's son and heir. He had to keep up appearances. So he let his chest cave in, let his eyes go downturned and gloomy. Was he in pain? Natalie took a moment to answer, shoulders trembling. No, not at all. He was confused, what with the medication and all, so it was hard to tell what he was feeling. The last time I saw him. She drew a package of tissues out of her purse, taking a moment to dab at the corners of her eyes. I think he knew. He always sees more than he lets on, you know. He was at peace. Adrian didn't bother asking if Gabriel mentioned him, as much as his curiosity might burn for it. Because he knew the answer. There was no use letting Gabriel take another stab at his heart, even in death. I've already started funeral preparations, said Natalie, swiping open her tablet as if he cared to see her intricate scheduling system. His will instructs his body be buried next to Emily's, beneath a grest manor. We'll have to prepare the entertaining rooms for the guests. A stake of shock pierced through Adrian's lungs, both at the mention of having his father's stuffy business partners inside his house and of his mother's burial site. My mother's buried in a cemetery twenty minutes outside the city line, he told her. Father took me every year to see her tombstone. The slightest hint of regret flashed behind Natalie's glasses. A stand-in, I'm afraid she said, her tone entirely too professional for the impact her words caused. There's an underground garden in the base of the manor, set aside for emergencies. And now, to preserve the dead. Preserve? Adrian's gut roiled. He never gave up on your mother, said Natalie, voice going colder. Just as I will never give up on him. She didn't drop his gaze after the last sentence, as if daring him to correct or challenge her. Adrian wasn't blind, he knew of Natalie's obsession with his father. But to think she still remained loyal to him after death was another thing entirely. The manor is mine, he said slowly, evenly. Father's will was very clear on those terms. You will not be allowed to enter without my permission, and that includes these, gardens. The gardens I knew nothing about, the gardens designed to preserve a corpse, the gardens currently preserving my mother's corpse. Natalie's smile was icy and strained. You're forgetting the other part of his will. Now that he's gone, you will be required to step in as CEO of aggressed fashion. Unless you'd like me to take the reins, something I would be more than happy to aid you with. Adrian felt his body turn to stone, heavy and worn out. Because she was right. By chain of command, he was now the only aggressor alive. He would have to take over the company, and in doing so, 
discard his progress through the pre-med track. And then Professor Biggs would be proven right Adrian was only a rich kid groomed to take over his parents' business. He was nothing special, not as a student or a business major or a man. As much as he wanted to refuse the position, he also knew Natalie was as much a bulldozer as his father. She would stop at nothing to build the company, break past any barriers, legal or otherwise, to continue Gabriel's ruthless legacy. He couldn't let that happen. If you do take the position, I'm still the CEO's assistant. The company guidelines require me to be within 500 feet of you at all times, should you need me at any point. That means I'll live with you, stay near you, and have complete control of your schedule. It will be just like old times, she added, not bothering to hide the bite to her voice. And if I fire you? She pushed her glasses up her nose. Then I'll tell the entire world you knew your father was Hawkmoth, and that you never turned him in. I was his employee the police will believe I was trapped beneath his thumb, but you. His son, whom he loved with all his heart. He could never harm you. But you still hid his crimes, despite the terror he inflicted on Paris. Outside of Nino, who was a nobody as far as the fashion industry was concerned, Natalie was the only one who had witnessed his father's angry fits. And she wouldn't say a word against the man she loved. If you think those security tapes are going to save you, I've already erased them from the system, she said, closing Adrian's last escape route in the process. I had to fetch a new outfit for you, after all. She inclined her chin to the end of the bed, to the folded designer clothes taken from his closet. Why are you doing this, he said at last, tired of putting up a front. I've done nothing to you, or to my father. Why do you have to make everything so, so hard for me? It was a weak word for what he felt, but he couldn't express it any other way. It would have taken one word one word from Natalie, and his father would have never hit him. One phone call, and the police would have intervened. She had every opportunity to step in, every opportunity to give a 14-year-old boy a chance at a normal life. But every time she had a choice, Natalie picked Gabriel over him. She picked the man with no morals over the child. Adrian could remember the first time she was in the room when it happened, while Gabriel shouted and lashed out and all Adrian knew was panic and fear. He had screamed her name, captured her stare like a lifeline and begged for compassion. That time, and all the others, she refused him. And she looked ready to do it again. She shrugged, as if she hadn't played a part in mutilating his innocence. There's nothing I wouldn't do to protect your father. I love him. That's not love, he said shaking his head in disbelief. Love isn't always protection, it isn't blindly giving in to their wants just because they think it will make them happy. Love is truth. And the truth is, he was a cruel, hateful man who was so wrapped up in himself, he couldn't see his son. He pushed off the bed to stand in front of Natalie, a hand covering Plag. Pain blazed through his abdomen, but he didn't give it a moment's thought. Tell me why, Adrian demanded, satisfied at the way her posture stiffened with unease. Tell me why you stood in the corner while he beat me to a bloody pulp, why you played along in pretending I didn't spend every single day overworking myself to earn the approval of a man who never gave me a second thought. 
Give me one good reason, Natalie, and I'll never ask you again. For once, Natalie didn't say anything. She didn't look down at her tablet, didn't leave the room, but her mouth may as well have been glued shut. The screen lit up, then faded. Then lit up again, and again, until Adrian took the tablet out of her hands. If she wasn't going to respond, either too stubborn or too stunned, he might as well answer the emails from other associates. Might as well step into his new role as CEO immediately. Only it wasn't emails, it was news reports. The headlines were full of words like fire, ladybug menace, and rescue teams. He tapped on the first one he saw, which happened to be a live feed of the Eiffel Tower. The footage looked to be shot off a helicopter, the way the camera was circling the Eiffel Tower. The area around the tower was covered in orange, leaping flames, downtown Paris reduced to the kindling of a massive bonfire. But then the frame zoomed in, on a figure clinging to the side of the Eiffel Tower, easily fifty stories off the ground. She was tiny against the width of the frame, dark hair whipping angrily across her face. Her eyes were only on the next rung, the next foothold, the next step. Even as the helicopter's occupants shouted at her to wait for rescue, she paid them no heed. Then the camera panned up the tower, and Adrian's breath slammed out of him. A caricature of Ladybug was staring down at Marinette from the tip of the Eiffel Tower, the spotlights gleaming off his piercings. Luca Cufain was wearing his Lady's Miraculous, making a mockery of Ladybug's memory. The city he'd fought so valiantly to protect was burning. And Marinette kind, fearless, impossibly stupid Marinette was one wrong move away from death. I have to use the bathroom, he said pushing the tablet back into her hands and grabbing the pile of clothes. He got as far as opening the door before Natalie spoke. If fans bombard you dash. I can handle myself. You and father made sure of that. He closed the door, not trusting himself to breathe until he reached the bathroom down the hall. Plag was still asleep, head nestled against Adrian's thumb. He didn't want to wake him, but there was no question. He nudged Kwame's stomach, setting him on the porcelain sink as he started changing out of his flimsy robe. Come on, Plag, Marinette needs us. Again, groaned Plag by way of waking up. When's that girl going to learn some self-preservation? Then he blinked, narrowing his eyes. Are you fully healed? Mostly. At Plag's incessant glare, Adrian rolled his eyes. I'm healed enough claws out. He sensed Plague's reluctance in the way the suit repelled from his skin almost imperceptibly. But soon the ache in his stomach had faded, the command placed back into his grasp. The window was his best option, even if it was barely large enough to fit his head. Undoing the latch, he hauled himself through, gritting his teeth when the windowsill dug into his hips. He was happy not to be as small as his secondary school self but sometimes it was more of a curse than a blessing. He finally wiggled through, barely giving himself a chance to breathe before he propelled himself away from the hospital grounds, a rush of adrenaline building with every stab of his baton. The heat bloomed hotter over his skin, the flames licking at his feet as he neared the Eiffel Tower. It had been mere minutes since he saw Marinette dangling off the side, 
But now the news helicopter had abandoned her to drift over the fire-eaten homes and shops. Because entertainment was their priority, not her safety. He forced his outrage down and out of his reach. They were civilians, they should be getting themselves out of harm's way. He was more than capable of getting to Marinette without their help. His claws screeched down the metal lattice for a split second before they found purchase. Then he was hauling himself up the frame as fast as humanly possible, his batons stowed in his belt. It was only a few moments before he reached Marinette, but it might as well have been hours for how sharp his panic had become. What are you doing up here? he barked, rushing to pull her against him. It was almost December, and she was still in those flimsy pyjamas. Her skin was ice. Surprise kept her from reacting for a solid two seconds, but then she was driving her hands into his chest. Let me go, she said through her teeth. You should be at the hospital, go back. Are you serious right now? I've got this, she insisted, her lips blue from the cold. It was almost comical how violently she was trembling, and yet how vicious her tone was. Chat shook his head, his grip on her arms unyielding. You can't possibly think this is going to end well. Look what he's done to the city, he urged, trying not to think about the sound of splintering wood coming from people's homes. I'm the only one who can stop him. Her voice was hoarse. He took out his baton, readying himself for the leap down, but she grabbed his face. I'm not crazy, she said, eyes wide and pleading. As long as he has the miraculous ladybug, he's unstoppable. I'm the only one he'll let close enough to grab them. I'm the superhero, princess, I can handle it. Right now, we have to get you out of here before Dash. He will kill you. It was finality in her tone that caught his attention, the shorty behind it. He tried it already, without a miraculous. What do you think he'll do now that he has a god's power in his grasp? She was right Luca's attachment to her was their best option at getting that miraculous. But that didn't mean Chat felt any differently about it. For a moment, he steadied his arm around her, extending his baton with the other. If he dropped, she'd have no choice but to stay on the ground while he dealt with Luca. She would be out of harm's way, and he'd finally be able to stand off against Ladybug's murderer. He thought back to the few, rare instances in which he and Ladybug were on opposing sides. Each time, he hadn't been able to defeat her. There was an argument to be made for her experience and unceasing desire to improve, both of which didn't apply to Luca, but it was a shaky reasoning at best. Creation would always be more powerful than destruction, no matter the circumstances. He looked back at Marinette, heart in his throat. He could still make out the remnants of bruises on her neck, the scars peeking out of the back of her sweatshirt. And if he hurts you, he rasped, not daring to think of anything worse. Then I have a better chance at taking the miraculous. The wind drowned out most of her voice, but Chat heard the steadiness of her resolve. She was entirely unafraid, already content with whatever her future might hold. But Chat wasn't as selfless as he liked to think. I can't let you. She huffed, trying to pry his hands away. Just trust me on this. No. You have to. Actually, 
I don't. If I don't get up there in the next five minutes, Luke is going to burn the city to the ground. I could care less. She blanched, the closest to sputtering he'd ever seen her. Why not? Because I can't lose you, he said. The emotion in his chest drowned out the heat of the flames, the bite of the evening chill, everything except the girl shadowed in the gloom of the Eiffel Tower. She stared at him for a long moment, her expression a mess of fondness and determination. You have to let me go, chat. I know. He didn't release her, sacrificing precious time to memoize the lines of her face, the feel of her hands around his jaw. Heaving a shuddering breath, he raked a hand through his hair. I'll stay down here. You should be helping the evacuation dash. I already agreed to leave you alone with that psychopath, I'm not going any farther, he snapped. Her gaze softened, despite the anger sharpening his tone. Okay, she said. Slinging her arm across his shoulders, he scaled the last few stories to the top, stopping just below the highest platform. He set her on the widest railing he could find, making sure there was a clear, easy path to the top. Now that they were close, he didn't dare speak. Instead, he pressed his mouth to her temple, taking a moment to brace his forehead against hers. Marinette was the first to pull away, her lips quaking in the barest hint of a smile. Chat knew she was trying to be reassuring, but he hated that his peace was another burden on her shoulders. He watched her climb the last few feet, her features perfectly calm despite the way her limbs were trembling. Then she pulled her torso onto the platform, pushing up on her palms to swing her legs over. Luca, she called, and Chat's blood went hot and cold at the same time. The bar Chat was sitting on shook with the force of Luca's footsteps, approaching Marinette. Teeth gritted, Chat swung to the other side of the tower, anxious to get some sort of visual on the situation. He'd come so close to losing her on so many occasions, and he wasn't about to give up on her now. It's too late, Murray, said Luca, his arms going wide. You chose your fate the second you tried to kill me. What happened to our game, asked Marinette, tone edging on coy. Did I hurt your feelings with that last shot? Wound your pride? Luca's spine went ramrod straight, his head cocked slightly. What? Marinette advanced toward him, stopping just shy of his breathing space. You know what I mean, she said, and Chat had to remind himself that she was risking the last card in her hand, the unlikely chance Luca was still infatuated with her. You try to kill me, I try to kill you. I played my part. She flung her hand in his direction, an obvious taunt. Your move, Kufain. If Chat hadn't spent years reading her body language, he might be convinced. Especially when Marinette moved to the other side of the platform, acting as though she didn't need to get close to him. Acting as though she were waiting on him. At first, Lucas stomped to the other side of the tower, body coiled to spring off. But his head turned to Marinette, as if yanked by a magnet. He shook himself, pacing the length of the edge. Then he looked at her again, a fresh wave of anger alight in his eyes. I thought you cared for Paris he spat. Doesn't it pain you to watch it burn? She shrugged, chat the only witness to the strain in her jaw. 
Paris has brought me nothing but misery. It deserves a little heat. Luca chuckled, low and short. So I've done you a favor. You've always known me better than I know myself, she said, glancing halfway over her shoulder. I'm surprised it took you this long to get me a gift. A gift. Now he was intrigued, crossing the platform to stop a few inches shy of her shoulder. You think this is for you? Her smile tied Chat's stomach into knots. It's your offering to me. A sacrifice. He snorted, but it was void of true annoyance. Now you're mocking me. Are you saying you didn't mean it? That you don't want me to save you? She touched his arm a casual gesture that his sharp inhale turned significant. Luca's lips parted slightly, his countenance as open as it had ever been as he shifted toward her. His gaze danced over his face, and Chat felt a shred of jealousy slip past his carefully crafted mask. It wasn't enough to completely tear away his self-control, but he shifted on his perch. Just enough for his baton to clang against the metal. Luca jerked toward the sound, tensing to investigate the sound. Chat was preparing himself for a showdown, for getting Marinette to safety and launching himself at Luca, his probability of winning be damned. But Marinette reacted first. Grabbing the back of Luca's neck, she pulled him into a savage kiss. Chat couldn't move, couldn't breathe as he watched Luca melt into her. His red and black hands tracing down her back, fingers toying with the hem of her sweatshirt in shameless want. Then Marinette yanked down and away from him, leaving Luca bellowing in rage. She was panting, stumbling toward Chat's hiding place with something grasped in her fist. Luca swore, hands held beneath his ears. His rings gleamed red, his leather jacket sporting bullet holes and fresh scorch marks. He was vulnerable again. Before he could retaliate, Chat jumped into view, baton extended like a sword at his side. Don't take another step, he bit out through his teeth. Or what? Luca's voice was raw, stripped of whatever emotion had tainted it seconds before. Chat prowled forward, feeling more fragile than ever before. I haven't forgotten what you did to Ladybug. And unlike her, I don't have a pure reputation to uphold. Chat hadn't expected him to fall on his knees and grovel, but he also hadn't expected the dark laugh cracking past Luca's lips. He doesn't know. He was looking past Chat, now, toward Marinette. Chat moved to block his view but that only made Luca laugh harder. And I thought I was the heartless one. What's he talking about, his chat, unwilling to let Luca out of his sight? He could sense Marinette's breathing hitch, but she took a moment to respond. Her sweet tone had gone cold. Spots on. A flash of pink washed over Luca's features, the meager adoration in his features twisting into something vaguely disgusted disappointed, almost. There was a hand on Kat's shoulder, a breath of uncertainty fanning his ear. I don't have an excuse, she said, and it was more of a resignation than an apology. Chat turned, just enough to keep Luca on the edge of his vision. Just enough to see Ladybug standing sheepishly at his side. Instinctively, he glanced past her, searching for Marinette even when his soul told him she was the one beneath the mask that she had always been the one beneath the mask.
Chat, she murmured slowly, fingers splayed in front of her as if in surrender, you have to understand, I didn't want to put us in danger. I was trying, I was trying to protect you. To protect us. Distantly, Chat knew this was a good time to say something, to respond somehow. His voice had abandoned him to dance with the wind and the smoke. He felt the impact on his knees before he realized he was falling, felt the heartbeat in her stomach before he knew his arms were around her waist. Closing his eyes, he pressed the side of his face into the material of her suit and sighed. I needed it to be you. Then her hands were in his hair, her body curving over his like it was the most natural thing in the world. Chat didn't know whether to cry or to laugh. Marinette was Ladybug. The girl who fell for so long ago was the same girl who saved his life in every way possible. Everything was perfect. Until it suddenly wasn't. Marinette's steadiness was ripped violently away from him, her arm flinging toward the other side of the platform. Luca, no. Staggering to his feet, Chat whirled in time to see Luca step off the side of the tower, arms lifted to embrace death. His brain was still foggy from shock, the warm joy in his chest turning to a prickling horror as his senses caught up with his thoughts. Because Ladybug, Marinette, the only reason air was worth breathing, had thrown herself off the Eiffel Tower after him. Chat didn't have the energy to do anything but grab his baton and hurl himself into the billowing smoke. If not for his heightened vision, it would have been impossible to see through the smog. Even with his powers, Chat's eyes stung as he plummeted, chasing that smear of red in the distance. She had reached Luca, at least, her arm banded around his waist. He was a limp, passive shell of what Chat had seen on the platform. When Ladybug drew back her arm to give them a lifeline, though, Luca's hand shot out to intercept it. She thrashed against his hold, mouth open to scream at him, but he didn't release his grasp. Chat glimpsed the ground and quickly realized she wasn't getting out of this one alive. Working off of sheer panic, he propelled his baton off some unknown building, shooting himself down rather than up. He was moving too fast, he knew, but he had to reach her before the ground did. He slammed into them, hard, grabbing both Ladybug and Luca on his way down. He was aware enough to twist in the air, to make it so he was the first to hit the ground. Sooner than he expected, white-hot pain exploded through his spine, vines of agony spreading to every corner of his back. He tried to open his eyes, tried to cling to the view of the Eiffel Tower sparkling in the firelight and stayed awake. Somewhere near him, Ladybug was groaning. She needed him. You're such an idiot, Chat croaked, arching off the pavement. Such an idiot. He was out before he heard her response, 